الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي تواضع لعظمته كل شيء الحمد لله الذي استلم لقدرته كل شيء الحمد لله الذي ذل لعزته كل شيء الحمد لله الذي خضع لملكه كل شيء فلك الحمد والشكر يا ربي ما ركع راكع لجلالك وسجد وما دب على وجه البسيطة من أحد وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الأحد الفرد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد تنزيلا ممن خلق الأرض والسماوات العلا الرحمن على العرش استوى له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وما بينهما وما تحت الثرى وإن تجهر بالقول فإنه يعلم السر وأخفى الله لا إله إلا هو له الأسماء الحسنى My dear respected brothers, sisters, listeners Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Since we are congregated here today in Walsall on the occasion of the completion of the Quran, which Alhamdulillah is a ni'mah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed the Muslim inhabitants of the UK with, by which the whole country benefits. When the Quran is recited, it actually provides benefit for the rest of the community, whether they're believers or non-believers, because there's a special athar and an effect in the, in the Quran. I've lived in communities where you would have to travel literally for miles to find the one place that they would be memorizing the Qur'an, despite the fact that there'd be probably more Muslims in that country, which is quite amazing. There was one country I went to in Europe where at one time there was just one man who had come from India. And rather than come to England, as many Indians moved here and Pakistanis and Bangladeshis, he was sent to this country in Europe. And because of this one man, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used him to prepare a few huffad. Then those few Hufas, a few of them went out of the country to go and study and become alims and scholars of the deen. Then they've come back. And if you look, uh, I mean, if you look around the whole of that country, it's, uh, it's a country probably as big as the UK or a bit bigger, maybe less Muslim population. But uh, it has a diverse Muslim population. The, the, the majority of the ulama and the Hufas, the few that they have, all go back to this man. Now imagine the reward that this one individual will receive in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are extremely fortunate that wherever you go around the UK, whether you go to Birmingham or a, uh, or a suburb of Birmingham like Walsall, you'll still find something. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are happy with me calling it a suburb, right? But, uh, you know, that's what it seems like. Right? The best thing about Walsall really is that if you're traveling on the M6, you can actually quickly hop off, go to one of the four or five masjids within, you know, uh, within a very short distance. That's the beauty of Walsall, mashallah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept your khidmah Amen. that you do for the musafirin. I mean, you should actually have a musafir khana as well because you really like that is what it is, right? So you should really, you should really think about it because that's how traditional Muslim communities were. They had a musafir khana, if you know what that means, right? Like a travel lodge or something, right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you the tawfiq as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, you see, this is a verse from which we're going to understand where the Quran comes from. I think it's extremely important for us to understand that then our value for this book, for this great work, will increase. 
when you realize that it's coming from such, uh, such an entity, such an essence, and who it's coming to, and the message itself, that's how you become even more uh, encouraged to read, to understand, to pay some significance to it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this beautiful way in the Quran, it's really unfortunate that the majority of our people still don't know Arabic. It's really a sad case. And there's no way that I can actually express the beauty of these verses of the Quran without a person understanding <coughs> Arabic. It's like trying to explain rocket science to someone who absolutely have no idea uh, how these things work. So it's extremely difficult, but we, you know, we'll try. You can you really savor the, 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 the flavor of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tanzila. The word Tanzil, it's a master. You know, for those who understand Arabic, they re realize that it's a master. It's a root word, it's not a verb in itself. What it means is the munazzal, meaning the thing which has been revealed. But the way that it's been said, Tanzilum min ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Tanzilum, Tanzilul kitabi min Allah. Look, that book which has been revealed. So it's almost as if it's trying to indicate towards something. Like for example, right now, if I was to say, look, look who's here. If I said it like that, subhanallah, look who's here. You would, you would really think, that whoever the person is coming in must be somebody of great reverence, somebody of great stature because of the way that I'm saying it. Now, if I said it in a different way, in a kind of a belittling way, then you'd think, well, whoever it is. But when it's said with some kind of respect, there's an awe that's created. There's a reverence in your mind and an honor and a distinction that's created. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tanzil. Tanzil, which means the thing which is revealed. That thing which is revealed. Giving it great honor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks like this in, in the Quran. He says, al kitab. You're reading the book. You are reading the Quran. Alif la mean al kitab. That book. In which there is no doubt. He makes it. He, it's, it's the way the language is used in the Quran. Which is one of the most eloquent ways of speaking. That's why the Arabs used to consider. Despite the fact that they were, they were considered the most uncivilized people. By the, Roman, by the Romans and by the Persians. They used to be looked down upon. But they had such great pride in their language that they used to consider themselves Arab and everybody else Ajam. And Ujum means an, an inability, a weakness to be able to articulate what's in your mind as greatly as somebody who's an, Ara uh, who's an Arab. And that's why you mustn't feel that you can be left out because if you learn Arabic, then according to one opinion, it's whoever speaks Arabic is an Arab. There's a hadith in which Rasulullah said, love the Arabs for three reasons, because I am Arab, the Quran is Arab, and the, the language of the language of paradise will be Arab, Arabic. Now, if you think that this is some kind of, if you think that this is giving some kind of superiority to the Arab, whereas the Prophet said there is no superiority to an Arab over a non-Arab or a non-Arab over an Arab, except with taqwa, which is absolutely true, but there is. You can see within this that the Prophet ﷺ, if he was chosen from among the Arabs, from all of the tribes of the world, he was chosen from among them, then the Qur'an was chosen to come to this group of people in this place that was constantly warring, that was constantly fighting themselves. There must be a reason, there's a virtue but through which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an there. So go and learn Arabic and you become an Arab as well. That's the, great, that's the beauty of this, that's the beauty of this religion. And do not look at me and think this is something that is impossible because your fathers did not do it and your mothers did not do it. You can do it. It is easy to do it. I've lived in countries where the, the general public uh, are interested in learning Arabic and they do it and they can actually read the Quran and at least get some understanding. 
We're not talking about the ayat of the masail. We're not talking about the fiqhi uh, legal ahkam, which is just a you know a, a proportion, uh, you know, a very small proportion of the verses. We're talking about all of the verses of ibrah that you can take a lesson from when you read and you reflect. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Afala yatadabbarun." Do they not reflect? Do they not, do they not ponder and do they not ponder? Do they, do they not think? So these are all verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about. Now let us understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in terms of where the Quran is from. Who is the Quran from? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, This is something revealed. This is the thing which is revealed from the one who created the earth and the high heavens. It is somebody who, it is from the one who created the earth and the samawatil ula and the high soup and the uh, and the high worlds the supralunary world as you call it the high the seven heavens who is he how much is his dominion and his sovereignty ar-rahmanu 'ala al-arsh istawa allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is established on his throne and when you read the description of the throne the throne is described by uh, ibn jarir al-tabari in a narration in which Rasulullah said that the kursi in comparison to this entire world, the entire universe, the entire universe in comparison to the kursi of Allah is like the ring thrown into the middle of a vast desert. I don't know if you've ever seen a vast desert, but a ring that's there will be impossible to find if you'd lost it there. Miles and miles of desert in a small ring. And the kursi is, uh, the kursi is, uh, position in front of the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the throne, is that of the kursi is actually considered the foot pedestal. And uh, the arsh is, is the same way with the kursi. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is the king of the throne. He is the king of the dominion. That's his dominion. Whoever has the throne, they have the kingdom. Ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa. Lahu ma fis samawati wa ma fil ardi wa ma baynahuma wa ma tahta thara. For everything, what, what, does, what belongs to him, everything that is in the heavens and that is on the earth. What is in the heavens is another hadith which mentions that There is the, the, the heavens creak, the seven heavens, they creak and they have absolute right to creak. Because in every single one of them it is full and packed with angels. Not a hand span of space is left three, free where there is no angel there. Pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorifying Him, <coughs> praising Him in some way or the other. That is the sheer amount of inhabitants that, uh, that inhabit the heavens and uh, the, 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 the seven heavens, the superlunary world. And then when we come down to the, to the earth, we know what inhabits the world. Everything of this belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even below that, even below that what you cannot understand, what year by year people discover new things down to the core of the earth. And these are all, these, all of these things belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَإِن تَجْهَرْ بِالْقَوْلِ فَإِنَّهُ يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ وَأَخْفَى He gives an understanding of himself. You know who this Qur'an comes from? It comes from the one, and he then gives a little peek into who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. He says, وَإِن تَجْهَرْ بِالْقَوْلِ Whether you say something aloud, whether you say, وَإِن تَجْهَرْ بِالْقَوْلِ فَإِنَّهُ يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ وَأَخْفَى It doesn't matter whether you say that thing aloud or in silence. Or in your mind, or you think of it. It is just a thought that creeps into your mind. It's just a, a notion that occurs 
that occurs within 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 your mind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the hidden Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the secret and even that which is even beyond that secret there's a hadith that's a very interesting hadith that's related in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was approached by a young man who came and complained about his father. He came and complained about his father that his father spends his money, meaning his son's money. And he was feeling very bitter about this. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, go and call your father. He said, go and call your father. So now when he went to call his father, the father realized that his son had complained about him. And in his heart, you can imagine what a father would feel when the son would complain about them, especially if the complaint wasn't valid. So within his heart, within his mind, he composed poetry. Now, they were very spontaneous in their, po in their poetry, in, comp in composing their lines. So immediately, he composed some lines of poetry in his head only. He did not say it out. He did not write it down. He never divulged it to anybody. He, it was something just purely in his head. And as he done this, he went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when he got there, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, What's wrong? Ibnuka yashkuk, you know, your, your son is uh, complaining about you. Your son is complaining about you. So the man, he said, you know, Ya Rasulullah, why don't you ask him, Salhu Ya Rasulullah, ask him where I'm spending this money that I may have taken from him. Where am I spending it? Have I not just spent it on his uncles and his aunts? You know, somebody from his own family. Have I not just spent it on that? The Prophet ﷺ said, anha." He says, you know what, leave that alone. Because just before he had come, Rasulullah ﷺ had been visited by Jibreel ﷺ. Jibreel ﷺ had said to him that when this man comes to you, tell, ask him to say that poem which his own ears have not heard. Tell him to say that poem which his own ears have not heard. So when this person came, the Prophet, he, he started uh, explaining himself. The Prophet also said, "Da'na an hada, you know, da'na an hada, like leave this alone yet. Give me akhbirni an shay'in qultahu fi nafsik ma sami'atu ma sami'atu udunak. Say, tell me the thing which you composed in your mind that your ears have not yet heard. So this person was shocked. This person was shocked. But he was a Muslim. He was a believer. He was a mu'min. Iman was in his heart. He said, "Wallahi ya Rasulullah." Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly increases us in conviction. Every time you say something, we become even more convinced. We become even more convinced. The only way we could do that today is by reading that hadith because the Prophet is not physically in our midst. So we read that hadith, we, read the, we, we follow the sunnah, that's how we can still benefit like that. He said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly increases, increases us this way. And then he said, I said something in my heart which my ears have not yet heard. And then the Prophet said, Qul wa ana asma Say it, I am, I'm listening, I'm all ears, I want to hear it. So then the person said, Ghadawtuka mawludan wa ultuka wa ultuka yafi'an. Ghadawtuka mawludan wa ultuka yafi'an. Tu'allu bima udni ilayka wa tunhalu. Iza laylatun dafat ka bis sukmi lam abit. Li sukmika illa sahiran atamal malu. Allah 
فليتك إذ لم ترى حق أبوتي فعلت كما الجار المجاور يفعل فأوليتني حق الجوار ولم تكن علي بمال دون مالك تبخل In this poem he is saying to his son I nurtured you as a young boy and then I continued to, to nurture you and to bring you up until you were a youth until you were a young man Yafi'an uh, uh, means like somebody around the age of 20 and he's saying that this is what I've done for you and I did this and I did that for you and he's explaining everything uh, in the hadith he said that at times when you were sick as young people as young bo- uh, our young children become sick I used to stay awake at night and it was as if I had the sickness instead of you and I would uh, I would fear my, my, my nafs would fear that you would be you would be destroyed that you would uh, you, you would die in this uh, in this sickness despite the fact that uh, that despite the fact that everybody's death is written at an appointed time I would constantly be feeling uh, feeling this about you and he, he's, he's explaining himself that these things when you know these things when they would happen at night I would stay awake I would not I would not sleep until you would sleep I would not eat until you would not eat I would do so many things just to see your smile I would do all of these things for you and I brought you up like this and I I did uh, you know I nurtured you in such an excellent way and then what you have what have you done to me all you've repaid me with for all of these things is that you are harsh is your harshness is your harshness and the strength that you use against me and you try to use all of these things against me what is this harshness it is as though you are acting as though you're the one who's graced me you're the, it's you're acting as though you're the boss you're the one who has been favoring me and you have been putting your graces on me. I mean, this is a typical, you know, this is a, a t- typical notion that many youth unfortunately go through uh, at one time of their life or the other when they start fe- feeling that they're better than their fathers. They're better than their, uh, their, their mothers, especially if there's a language barrier, especially if there's an accent problem, especially if they don't really know what's going on. And, it, and even more so sometimes, you know, if they feel that their parents are inferior in some way or the other. It's really a sad case that, you know, whoever is preserved from this in their youth, then they're really preserved. Because then you will get the du'as of your parents, which are extremely valuable. Then, the, then, then, he, then he said, you know, if you could not fulfill the rights of just being a son and fulfill the right of me being a father, then you could have at least acted like a good neighbor. That even a good neighbor will, will never come and be, uh, would, would not be as stingy as you are with your wealth, with your, with your money. When he said this, the Prophet ﷺ began to cry. This made the Prophet ﷺ, Rasulullah it made the Prophet ﷺ cry. And the Prophet ﷺ got hold of the son and he said, Anta wa ma luka li abik. You and, your, you and your wealth is all for your father. That's a famous, that, that part is, you, you'll see in the books of it, Anta wa ma luka li abik. This from this, the fuqaha have... Uh, extracted numerous masail, but this is a story that's behind this one statement that you and your you and your uh, you and your wealth is all for your father. Now going back to the uh, going back to the the verse, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sirra wa akhfa. This is the Lord who has produced, who has composed this Quran for us, who's spoken this Quran. This is the kalam of Allah. He knows the hidden and that which is even more subtle beyond that. He knows everything that goes on in, in, in one's mind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in many other verses, Tanzilum min rahman rahim Who is this Quran from? It's revealed from the Rahman, the Rahim, the most merciful and the most great, the, the most gracious. Kitabun Fussilat Ayatu, whose ayat are very clear, they've been very well distinguished in their meaning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says 
نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ Who brought it down? The Ruhul Amin, which means Jibreel alayhi salam. The pure soul, he brings the, 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 trustworthy, the trustworthy spirit. The Jibreel alayhi salam has brought it down. نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ On your heart, O Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Numerous verses, Yaseen wal Quran al-Hakim, إِنَّكَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ عَلَىٰ صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ تَنْزِيلَ الْعَزِيزِ الرَّحِيمِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes what this Qur'an is all about. It's really sad that we haven't understood the true power of the Qur'an. It is, it, that, that, is, that is really sad that we haven't understood the true part of the Qur'an. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, until now he's just been describing who he is. Until now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, تَنْزِيلًا مِمَّنْ خَلَقَ الْأَرْضَ وَالسَّمَاوَاتِ الْعُلَى This is the beginning ayat of Taha, Surah Taha, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى إِلَّا تَذْكِرَةً لِمَنْ يَخْشَى تَنْزِيلًا مِمَّنْ خَلَقَ الْأَرْضَ وَالسَّمَاوَاتِ الْعُلَى الرَّحْمَانُ عَلَى الْعَرْشِ اسْتَوَى لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا Allah, Allahu la ilaha illahu. Then he says who this is. He says Allah. Allah has a special way. If you just ponder over the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts these things together, not just the general meaning, you can, you can go into this, you can, you can sit and appreciate this for hours and hours. Allah. Now this word in itself is so amazing. I mean, all of this just contributes to the honor of the Qur'an. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the word he's chosen for himself. And that's why we would encourage that people use this word more than anything else. Although God is a decent, half-decent translation of Allah, just like Khuda is, God and Khuda mean the same thing. It's a, that's a translation of the word ilah in Arabic. Ilah means deity, something to be worshipped, an object of worship. That's what a deity is. That's what Khuda means, and that's what, uh, that's what ilah in Arabic means. But Allah is a proper noun. It's a proper name that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, had, uh, has uh, <coughs> composed for himself. It means that Lord who is worthy of worship and who is associated with all of his great attributes and all of his beautiful names. It is such a comprehensive term that when you say the word Allah, then all of this meaning comes into it. If you say Khuda or you say God, then it indicates towards this essence and this entity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but it's not the word itself the word Allah is so powerful Imam Ghazali mentions that if a person says it even with total negligence not with any intent of dhikr the person just says Allah right just says Allah for whatever reason you know in any sentence of his even that will not be devoid of some benefit that will be gained by the self. Even without intention. So if you actually sit and you say, Allah, Allah, La ilaha illallah, then the benefit of that is definitely increased because there's, your heart is within that. Now another amazing thing about the word Allah is that it's made up of alif, lam, and ha. It's just made up of three letters. And if you go beyond that, the whole, part, the whole first part of the, 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 the formula of the Tawheed, La ilaha illallah, that's also just made up of three letters. If you look at the whole part, La ilaha illallah, it's literally just made up of three letters. I mean, how beautiful that the formula of faith that gives you the ticket to paradise and gives you extraction from hellfire is only made up of three letters. And the other thing about this, say La ilaha illallah. Say it once, La ilaha illallah. Do, does your, does your, do your lips have to move? 
Your lips don't have to move because there's no meme in there. There's no wow in there. There's no ba in there. There's no letter in there where you have to put the sound in your nose, that you have to put purse your lips together, that you have to open your mouth wide. You could literally be sitting there in a waiting room. You could be sitting in a meeting. Things are boring. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, silently. And nobody would be the wiser, but you are connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the beauty of this kalima, the word Allah itself. There's been, that there's been special surveys done on this word itself, the word Allah, that it has a profound effect on a person in terms of calming their nerves. Ajeeb, if you are depressed at some time or you've got some turbulence in your mind or your heart is wavering at some point, and you sit there and you just say, Allah, 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 just even silently. It, it is supposed to have a calming effect on you. And the more your yaqeen, the greater the calming effect will be. But it will not be devoid of some kind of calming effect. As long as you can just stop thinking about everything else and just say, Allah. Just for a moment. May Allah give us all the tawfiq to resort to the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when the time comes. That is Allah, la ilaha illahu. There is no God but He. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now describes Himself in this way that He is the one who sent. So this is whom the Quran has been sent by. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The problem, as I mentioned, is that we, have, we are Muslims, many of us are Muslims since birth. Many, are Mus- many of us are Muslims since birth. Many of us sit in the, Qur- in the masjid and read Quran for so long. We read so much Quran in the month of Ramadan. But if we're to say to someone that, can you tell me the, the meaning of Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen? Can you tell me the meaning of Surah Al-Fatiha, which we recite so many times each day? Unfortunately, we are ignorant of the meaning of this uh, of, of this Surah Al-Fatiha. We, some people don't even know the general meaning of it, of what it contains, what kind of meanings it contains. This is really a sad fact that our, 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 our ulama need to be really educating our, our community about this because mashallah in many other aspects we have reached, uh, mashallah, great achievements have been made, great accomplishments have been made. But when it comes to Arabic for some reason, there, there's a problem. When Maulana Ash-Shabari Thani, Rahmatullahi Ali Hakim Al-Ummah, when he wrote a translation of the Qur'an, when Mufti uh, Mahmoud Hassan, uh, uh, Shaykh Al-Hind wrote a translation of the Qur'an, when uh, um, Mufti uh, when Maulana Idris Kandilwi, Mufti Shafi, Rahmatullahi Alayhim, all of them, when they wrote these translations and these commentaries of the Quran, it is to give the tool to those people who can't learn Arabic. Because look, it's not in, in everybody's ability, and it's not in everybody's uh, ability to go and learn Arabic and sit down to do this. But you can at least read the translations and get a general gist of what you're reciting in the Quran. People complain today that we have no focus in our, in our salat. We have no concentration in our salat. We're constantly thinking about this, that and the other. Well, obviously, if we're going to be just reciting without thinking and knowing what the meaning is about, and we have nothing to ponder over because we don't know what we're reciting, then clearly, what, what do you think is going to happen? At least go and read, read the tafasir, listen to the tafasir. There are so many available throughout. Ask your ulama, ask your imams to hold that course. Go and ask them to, uh, to, to teach you And they'll be more than happy to do that Is to at least learn the, the, the translations And the general meaning of the Surah Al-Fatiha And the last 10 Surahs of the Quran Maybe Surah Yasin, Surah Rahman The few Surah Al-Mulk, the few Surahs that you recite Surah Al-Kahf Why do you recite it every, every week? It's mentioned in the Hadith of Muslim That whoever recites Surah, Al, uh, Surah Maryam uh, sorry, Surah Al-Kahf every Friday, 10 verses of it. Man qara ayatim min awwali Surah Al-Kahf. Or min awakhili Surah Al-Kahf in another version. 
beginning or end of Surah Al-Kahf, Usima min fitnati Dajjal, they'll be prevented, they'll be protected from the fitna of Dajjal. Why? There's a meaning, and if you, if you, this is not the time for it, but if you ponder over the stories that have been related in Surah Al-Kahf, it will give you a clear indication of how to work yourself in this life. And it is so perfect for this time and age. When uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about those two brothers who had that garden, right? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, it's all about materialism. And today, the, one of the biggest challenges with, we have is about materialism. And that, those verses, that story is just so apt. Even Surah Al-Kahf gives us strength to stand up and, and stand up for your faith. Please, this is what we should do. Let us understand what the Quran is all about. People go and learn all sorts of languages today. There are courses available everywhere. People go, they spend so much time doing these things. You'll probably spend so much time on your phone and other places watching, watching football, watching clips on YouTube, and uh, you know, chatting away on, uh, on your uh, Facebooks and Twitters and WhatsApp and things of that nature. You just need to spend 10-15 minutes a day, if even that, just to learn. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to us. Your life, our lives will increase. Our, our, the quality of our lives will inshallah increase. See the Quraysh, they used to, one of the things that captured much of the Quraysh, you see it was a perfect miracle. The Quran is a miracle, it's a mu'jiz, it's a mu'jizah. And mu'jizah, the word comes from i'jaz. I'jaz means to be inimitable, to be something that cannot be equaled or challenged. So when, the, when a prophet like Musa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would make a claim that I am the prophet, then the whole point of a mu'jiza is to prove that. Because nobody can challenge that, that uh, challenge it. Now, because in the time of Rasulullah the big deal was about eloquence in Arabic. That was a big deal about the eloquence of Arabic. Beautiful prose, beautiful poetry. So when the, uh, when the Quran was revealed, even the absolute deniers, the arch enemies would come and want to listen. They would revel in this beautiful voice. They would revel in this beautiful, in this beautiful composition that had such great rhapsody, that had such great beauty and such great meanings that were, that, that were all contained within a few words that would mean so many things. They were totally amazed by the Qur'an. Now, you know, we hear about Umar radiallahu an that he became a Muslim when he went to visit his sister. When he went to visit his sister and then the whole story took place where he beat her up and then she, she made him think, then he asked about the Qur'an and then he said, okay, that's why I'm converting. However, the seeds of this Iman came before. The seeds were planted some time before. What happened one night is that Umar radiallahu anhu, this Ibn al Jawzi relates this in his, uh, in, in his, uh, in his seerah of uh, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he says that one night Umar radiallahu anhu couldn't go home for some reason, he stayed out. So he went to the haram area. Now this is the time, you know, right in the beginning of Islam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to go to the haram uh, by the Kaaba and he used to recite. He used to stand there and he used to, he used to make salat, he used to recite. And the beauty of that. They used to hide behind the, the veil of the Kaaba to listen to him. They didn't want to be caught out that they are listening to the, peop, the, the, the person, the same person that they are, they are opposing. So one night, Umar radiallahu anhu is there listening. And the Prophet has started, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani r-rajim, bismillahi r-rahmani r-rahim. Al-haqqatu mal-haqqatu wa ma-adraka mal-haqqah. كَذَّبَ الثَّمُودُ وَعَادٌ بِالْقَارِعَةِ فَأَمَّا ثَمُودُ فَأُهْلِكُوا بِالطَّاغِيَةِ and, and so on. 
This surah had been, uh, the Prophet ﷺ was reciting this surah. Now, Umar عنه, is totally amazed by this composition. He's absolutely amazed by these words. So he's standing there, and when the Prophet ﷺ nears, you know, he reads about uh, uh, several verses of it, and he, suddenly Umar, Umar says to himself, he, he relates this afterwards, he says, Hada wallahi sha'ir. This is, by Allah, this is definitely a, 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 a poet. Now, you have to make a distinction between poet and someone who's divinely inspired with divine words. There's an absolute difference. A poet is the figment of your imagination. But something that comes from a prophet is in huwa illa wahyun yuha. It is only a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's but a revelation from Allah. It is not something any human mind can compose. So he said, Hada wallahi sha'ir. He must be a sha'ir. And the Prophet then recited the next verse. إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرٍ قَلِيلًا مَا تُؤْمِنُونَ So these were the verses that uh, in, in Surah Al-Haqqa, he says, this is, the, this is the words of a noble messenger. And he is not a poet. Umar had just said this to himself, that he's a poet, such a great poet. He is not a poet. So little do you believe? So then he said, well, when, when, when he heard that from Rasulullah he said, Kahin, he must be a soothsayer then, a fortune teller, soothsayer. And immediately the Prophet recited, Neither is he a soothsayer. Such little do you think? So little do you ponder? He is not a soothsayer. And then, it is but a revelation from the Lord of the worlds. Umar this pierced his heart. This is when the seeds were put in his heart. He was a different man from them. But you see, it takes a while for a person to change. They have this last aggression. It's all about a, it's all about a commotion between your heart and your intellect. Your heart and your emotion, your intellectual emotions. What that means is to give you an example. When you see something amazing, you will clothe it in your thoughts. You will clothe it in your ideology. If you see something strange, you're, you're going to clothe it and interpret it based on what your beliefs are. If you're scientific, you will clothe it in science. If you're philosophical, you will clothe it in philosophy. Right? So although it's there, it's pushing at the heart. But slowly, slowly, though you're trying to oppose it, like Umar did, but then when his sister was there, it was the perfect... It was the perfect ingredient for his iman and he, he became a Muslim now then in those days what, what happened is just to contextualize how the Quran came and how it was a mu'jizah whoever wrote a beautiful piece of poetry then that poetry was written and it was placed on the Kaaba because the Kaaba was the center point that was the meeting place that was where everybody went and that's, that was where you could, you could see everything Right? So there were one, two, three, up to seven or maybe nine, up to nine mu'allaqat. Mu'allaqat just means something that's suspended, something that's just put somewhere. Right? Uh, so so you, you, had, you had the different uh, compositions of lines of poetry, absolutely beautiful. Right? Absolutely beautiful from an Arabic perspective. Right? Those who have studied it, they, you, know, you can, appreciate, uh, you can appre- appreciate that language. So one of the best of them was that of Imra'ul Qais. One of the best of them was Imra'ul Qais's one, right? Now, he had died, 
Slowly, slowly, when the Quran was revealed and people became, be, be, uh, became very infatuated with the Quran, they realized that this is not the word of some magician or a poet. Far from it. This seems like something beyond this world. So slowly, slowly, whoever's, uh, who, you know, whoever's uh, poet, who, a poem was up there, if it was himself or uh, one, of, one of their descendants, they would take it off. They think that this has no class anymore. So slowly, slowly, all of the, the seven were removed except one, Imra'ul Qais. His was the best one. His sister refused to remove it. His sister, who was his, uh, probably his inheritor, she refused to remove it. He said, no, there's nothing that can tackle, the, that, that can challenge these words yet. Then suddenly, when the verses were revealed uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Surah Hud, وَقِيلَ يَا أَرْضُ بَلَعِي مَا أَكِي وَيَا سَمَاءُ أَقْلِعِي وَغِيضَ الْمَاءُ وَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ وَاسْتَوَتْ عَلَى الْجُودِيِّ وَقِيلَ بُعْدًا لِلْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ About Nuh alayhi salam. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mean, if I do the translation, it doesn't do justice. Right? I'll do the translation anyway, but it doesn't do justice to what it says in Arabic. And that is the sad fact. It's just really sad that we can't appreciate it. We can't appreciate the kalam of our Lord. It's really sad. Please, brothers, sisters, whoever's listening, go and take some course in Arabic too, so that Quranic Arabic or read a translation, but take some course in Arabic. You'll get some appreciation of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, O earth, swallow your water. وَقِيلَ يَا أَرْضُ بلعي. Swallow your water. And O sky, withhold your rain. And then the water subsided. And the matter was accomplished. And the ship came to rest on the mountain of Judy. And it was said, away with the wrongdoing people. Absolutely no justice whatsoever. Whether I translate it in Urdu or in any other language. There's no justice to what these 19 words do in Arabic. There are, this, these few sentences, they're made up of 19 words. But the ulama of rhetoric and of balagh, of eloquence, they have discovered more than 20 aspects and features of eloquence and rhetoric within this. What, what, what we mean is, uh, I, I give you an example, I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another place, a shorter example. He says, وَفِلْ حَيَاتٌ What's the verse? About Qisas. وَلَكُمْ جَزَاكُمْ وَخِيرٌ وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاسِ حَيَاتٌ وَلَكُمْ For you in these penalties that we have uh, uh, that we have uh, um, imposed on you when somebody die, uh, somebody's killed you, you uh, a life, uh, an eye for an eye a life for a life that's qisas uh, a life for a life that's qisas fil qisas for you in this setup in this qisas is hayat is life such a juxtaposition such a contrast there's life for you in this qisas which means to kill the other person Somebody kills another one, you kill that person in retaliation, there's life in that for you. How do you explain that? And in three words. About three or four words. The beauty of it is that if you sat and tried, and you got the best of the Arabists, philologists, right? And you got the lexicographers, and you got the, the, the literary scholars, and the, uh, the, the poets, and everybody else you wanted. And you try to explain this same meaning that is embodied within these few words in a shorter phrase or an equal number of phrases to this, you, it would be impossible for you to do so. 
there's life in it because when you take that, uh, I mean, I don't want to go into the fiqhi or the philosophical aspect of it, but the whole purpose of it is that you, uh, with this one life, the death penalty, right? You will save many other lives because it will be a great deterrent. And there's a huge number of other meanings that you can that you can explain from this verse. But this sister of Imra ul she refused. Now his muallaqa, his poem was extremely beautiful, right? Again, extremely beautiful. I'll read you a few verses of it, just just I mean, just for those who can appreciate it. He says, "Qifa, qifa nabki min dhikra habibin bisqtil liwa bayn al-dakhul fahoumali." فتوضح فالمقرات لم يعف رسمها لما نسجتها من جنوب وشمالي ترى بعر الأرآم في عرصاتها وقيعانها كأنه حب فلفلي كأني غدات البين يوم تحمل لدى سمرات الحي ناقف حنظلي وقوفا يا صحبي علي مطيهم يقولون لا تهلك أسا وتجملي وإن شفائي عبرة مهراقة فهل عند رسم دارس من معولي and he carries it's about 90, 90 uh, couplets it's about 90 lines long and he goes on like this and the ends are all li 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 the whole ending is like this it's quite complicated but so beautiful in its, uh, in its composition so she, would, she refused but when this verse of the Quran وَقِيلَ يَا أَرْضُ بْلَعِي مَا أَكِي وَيَا سَمَاءُ أَقْلِعِي وَغِيضَ الْمَاءُ وَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ وَاسْتَوَتْ عَلَى الْجُودِيِّ وَقِيلَ بُعْدًا لِلْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ She went and she tore it down. She said, now I can see that, this, that there's nothing that can, challenge, that can challenge these words. She was so impressed by this. So these are people who knew what they were speaking about. That's why this was a mu'jizah. This was inimitable. This was a challenge for them that none of them were able to meet. And it's just really sad that we can't enjoy it in the same way. How it affected these people and that's how they became so convinced. They became so convinced. There's another great literary scholar whose name was Abdullah ibn al-Muqaffa. He is the famous writer of this really famous composition called Kilia wa Dimna. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a literary piece in Arabic. You know, for those who study uh, Ar- classical Arabic, it's Kilia wa Dimna. It's very famous. He was a Persian, or, or original, originally Persian. But he was beautiful uh, in Arabic. And he decided that he will compose something against the Qur'an. He wasn't a Muslim then. He decided that he will compose something against the Qur'an, meaning something that could match it. Right? So he may have heard a few verses or whatever it is. So he went and he started, and he started composing. Then again, one day, it says that there was a window open or something, and he heard this young child reading, وَقِيلَ يَا أَرْضُ بَلَعِي مَا أَكِي وَيَا سَمَاءُ أَقْلِعِي وَغِيضَ الْمَاءُ وَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ وَاسْتَوَتْ عَلَى الْجُودِيِّ وَقِيلَ بُعْدًا لِلْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ He went back home and he said, forget it, there's nothing, I, I can't deal with this. These words to us don't seem like anything, it's just like, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen for us. He went and he said, this is not a challenge I can take up. And whatever he had done until now, he tore it and he put it aside. Qadi Riyadh mentions this story. It's, it's just totally amazing what, what, what the Qur'an is and what it, what it can do. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Say to them that if all of the humans and the jinn kind, the all humankind, all jinn kind, mankind and jinn kind, so that means just Everybody that's there that is responsible, mukallaf. They would not be able to produce the like of this Quran even if they did it collectively and they helped each other. So they each edited it, added to it, criticized it, critiqued it, and, and further refined it. They could do that. Even their collective piece 
would not challenge any part of the Quran. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. But these people, they tried and they failed. Miserably they failed. But the main thing is that he became a Muslim after this. He became a Muslim after this. When they realized this, he became a Muslim. The Quran itself is so powerful that by which so many people have embraced Islam. Because they can tell that this is not the speech of any human, any human or any man. Uh, it is something that is divine from the realm of the divine. That now we've, we've learned about where the Qur'an comes from. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We could go on speaking about that forever. But who is it coming to? It is coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who sent the book to you. He is signifying Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He revealed the book to you. He says, Yaseen wal Qur'anil hakim inna kalamin al-mursaleen. The Qur'an, the wise, the, with the wisdom it, You are verily the messenger You are of the messengers And then he says tanzeel again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Noon wal qalami wa ma yasturoon Ma anta bi ni'mati rabbika bi majnoon He's addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam By the pen, again something to do with literature Wal qalami wa ma yasturoon The pen and what it writes and then to respond to what people were saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, مَا أَنْتَ بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ بِمَجْنُونَ You are not by the grace of your Lord an insane person. You don't have, you're not afflicted with insanity by the Lord of your, by, by, the, by the favors of your Lord, by the bounty of your Lord. Then he says, وَإِنَّكَ لَأَجْرًا غَيْرَ مَمْنُونَ Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will sometimes feel a bit dejected. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring him, he's com comforting him, he's making him content. He says that your, your rewards are great, abundant. Your rewards will be great and abundant. And then he says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ You are on the most sublime of character. You are on the most sublime of character. Now this is another aspect that we have to draw attention to. See, one is the foundation. Bunya al-Islam ala khams. Shahadatu an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah wa iqami salah wa ita'i al-zakah wa hajj al-bayd man istata'a ilayhi sabila'an and so on. The first hadith which, is, which tells us about the basis that Islam is based on five pillars that have to be firmly grounded. The, the shahada, the salah, the zakah, the hajj and the, and the fasting. So we've all, alhamdulillah, really focused on that. Anybody who comes to the masjid, you bear witness that they are believers. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said. Is there anybody that comes to the masjid, then you fashhadu lahu bil iman. Then bear witness that he's a believer because only a believer can come to the masjid. Now the thing is that just like outside, we wouldn't, uh, we, we wouldn't be gathered here if there wasn't a roof on top of our head. We wouldn't be gathered here if there wasn't a roof, you know, with, with the rain and everything. The clothing of Islam that presents it to others, that shows who we are to others, that embellishes it, is the akhlaq. So the ending is the Prophet said, I've been sent to complete good character. I've been sent to complete good character. That is the root, that is the clothing of iman, that is what we show to others. No, the the non-Muslims and others are not going to see our salat in the masjid. What they're going to see is how we interact with them. And I'll give you one example. Right now it's a Christmas time. Right? And the Muslims are enjoying it. MashaAllah. I mean, you enjoy Christmas because the time when you're off. I mean, we won't be able to sit here and have a bayan today. That's what I mean. Relax. You know, you relax at the Christmas time. Where you can actually do more worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what I mean, okay? 
two types of celebration. We celebrate uh, Christmas because it's a time when we can get away from work and so on. There's no, there, there's not, not much traffic. Well, you'd think there wouldn't be much traffic. And you can, you know, mashallah, get together and uh, have programs and, you know, mashallah, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what I mean. So before any fatwa comes this way. <laughs> now, the thing is this. You know, people ask about uh, can we go to Christmas parties, especially people who are in the workforce. You know, it's an it's a important question because sometimes... It, what it does is that it creates very bad feeling and then you may lose a promotion, people start looking down upon you. Th these are challenges that we face in this country. So can you go to a Christmas party or not? Let me explain to you what one of my friends in America while I was there, what he did. He was a very good engineer, a superconductor, an engineer for superconductors, right? So a really uh, professional individual, very humble, very religious man. He would refuse to go to the annual general meetings, not a Christmas party. Christmas parties were, you know, out of, uh, you know, uh, were out of question. But this was annual general meetings for the company, which you have to go to. He would refuse, and he would say that it's because you serve wine. There's a hadith in which Rasulullah said, a believer, a person who believes in Allah in the last day, they should not sit at a table or at a majlis in which yudaru alayhi al-khumur, that where where wine is served around there. It, it, it is quite quite an issue for us, right? So. He would refuse to go. Now, he was such a good worker, disciplined, principled individual. Make sure he does his work, right? He's not cutting the company. He's not using the resources of the company. Oh, it's okay, right? I can do some photocopying there. I can take a few minutes off. He is giving his full to the company that he's contracted for. This is where most of us, this is where many of us fail. Our akhlaq is what takes us down. And that's why we do not gain any respect. We don't have pride of our faith. We have it in a weird way. We don't have it in the proper way that as shown by Rasulullah to carry ourselves. This is where many of us fail and this is why we can't be successful in fulfilling our deen and being a good worker. Because we're not principled in many cases. He's an extremely principled man. He knows when to take off, when not to take off, when to go on full, do the work. So the company has no gripes about him. right? But he doesn't come to the AGM for three years. The third year, or was it the fourth year, the, uh, his supervisor, his uh, line manager came to him and he said, you know, we've got an AGM, you need to come to it. He says, well, you know what my policy is, right? You know what my problem is. He says, no, it's okay. We've, we've changed our policy that there will be no wine served at these functions anymore. There will be no wine served at these functions anymore. And he became such, he became such that even when they would go out for dinner with the, his few colleagues, male colleagues, right? He's not allowed to go out with female colleagues. Because, uh, you know, especially when you go out like that, especially at Christmas time, the way they'll dress, the stuff you start talking about, the stuff they'll drink, and then you start, you know, mashallah, uh, it gets really out of hand. So this would be all male colleagues. They understood him. He was somebody to be respected. He was somebody, despite his religion, which, uh, you know, which seemed weird for, the, for many of them, right? But as soon as uh, the person, would, the, the waiter would come to take the order, they would order, uh, it, would, it would always be, okay, iced tea, iced tea, orange juice, whatever, no, no beer. Which would be quite traditional for them to have just ordered beer or wine. But they wouldn't do that. It's not easy to get to this status. You need to be good at what you do. You need to show them your principle and you're proud of what you do. But it, what you're proud of actually makes you better at what you do. That is what you have to portray. So those of us who are young and uh, trying to get into this world, you need to be principled about it. You need to be clever about it. You need to be spiritual about it. And inshallah, you'll be successful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. So, that is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many verses telling him, وَإِنَّهُ لَتَنزِيلُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِ نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ 
upon your heart. There's a direct connection between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Quran is being revealed to ala qalbika. لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ So that you can be one of the warners. You know, you can be one of those who warn people about, about what this life is all about. About the perils of the hereafter and hellfire and, and, and uh, the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. كِتَابٌ أَنزَلْنَاهُ إِلَيْكَ لِتُخْرِجَ النَّاسَ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ This is a book that has been revealed to you so that you can take people away from the darknesses to the light. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is being spoken about in here. تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي نَزَّلَ الْفُرْقَانَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ He's the one who's تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي Blessed is the one who sent the criterion Al-Furqan, the thing that distinguishes between the haq and the batil, the right and the wrong, truth and falsehood on his servant Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You see, when you realize who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and when you understand who the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was then you will understand the significance of the Qur'an if you try to understand the significance of the Qur'an in isolation of these two entities then it doesn't hold that significance in our minds it is extremely... we need to understand this you know the favor that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has done for us where he received a book that was, not in, that was not in written form as opposed to the other prophets. He received it word to word directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or through the angel directly to his heart. And that was not something that was easy to do. Just think of this experience. Allah, keep in mind this verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ if we're just going to strike an example of how heavy in terms of its spiritual weight it's from the divine it's a word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's not somebody else's word it's not a heavy book in weight it is highly significant if we were to reveal this on a mountain you will see that you would see that mountain tremble and shake under the burden of this that's a mountain we're speaking about what kind of a mountain did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam have as a heart that could bear this Qur'an for us. And effects of this were clearly related afterwards, were clearly related, the Sahaba observed it. Whenever the uh, part of the Qur'an was being revealed, that he would have to sit down. He would have to get off the animal that he was on because there was just too much weight. It was this divine kalam, the kalam of Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the Lord of the universe, who has absolutely no description that, can, that he can come under. Right, the vastness of Allah Subhanahu. You can just you just imagine it. If His speech is coming and onto, you know, I, I'm using a metaphor. I'm, I'm being anthropomorphic here, right? Which I shouldn't be. But it's coming to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Can you imagine if, if that was on a mountain? That mountain would not be able to bear it. But the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu would bear it. He carried it. He preserved it. He would move his lips. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says to him, لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِتَعْجَلَ بِهِ إِنَّا عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ وَقُرْآنَ Don't move your lips quickly, frantically, so that you might forget it. We will record it for you in your heart. We will preserve it for you in your heart. There's no need for you to try. You just have to bear it and propagate it. This is the Prophet May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us great love for Rasulullah sallallahu A story comes to mind. Bilal radiallahu anhu, now if you think about Bilal radiallahu anhu, just imagine where he was. He came out of slavery. He was among people who would look down upon the Habashis, upon, upon black people as such. But the Prophet gave him so much humanity. He gave him, he gave him so many rights. He, 
gave him preference over many of the chiefs of the Arabs. Abu Sufyan and Abbas, radiallahu anh, they were once waiting in a line after the conquest of Makkah. And Bilal radiallahu anh, was told to go first. And Abu Sufyan said, look at this, you know. He was like exclaiming, right? And uh, Abbas radiallahu anh, had to just exclaim, had to just explain that, look, he is before us in Islam. The Prophet sallallahu gave him great words. Can you imagine the love that Bilal radiallahu anh, had for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa His love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was so great that it's related. There are differing explanations for this. But it's related that when the Prophet sallallahu passed away, he couldn't stay in Medina Munawwara anymore. He could not bear the, the, the separation of Rasulullah, the absence. Because it's like you come home. Imagine, you know, for those who are with their parents or with their spouse, your spouse goes somewhere, you know, you don't see them in the kitchen, you don't see them in the room, you don't see them there, the house all seems empty. This is how, or probably worse than this, Bilal radiallahu anhu was finding Madinah Munawwara, so he left. He went to Sham. His, his, his grave is actually there, it's in Damascus. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve that, uh, preserve that city and that country, the Levant, Sham. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove the aggressors from there. But the, the, his, his grave is there, that's where he eventually passed away. He stayed there, he didn't want to come back to Medina Munawwara. Umar radiallahu anhu once met him in a place called Jabiyah, just outside. But then, he, what, what happened once is, after a number of years, the, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa comes in his dream. And he says to Bilal, What is this estrangement? Like, why are you staying away? What's wrong with you? Why are you staying away? Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you, you know, come to Medina Munawwara? As soon as he woke up, he took off for Medina Munawwara. As soon as he woke up, he took off for Medina Munawwara. He felt so bad in his heart that the Prophet has come in his dream. And has told him that, you know, you're, you're staying away from me, from my place, <laughs> my city. So he just goes on and on, on to Medina Munawwara. When he gets there, he goes to the grave of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's crying profusely, right? It's all flooding back. Every moment that he, he remembers when he's freed, when he had to, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave him so much honor, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to speak to him, when he used to make adhan for Rasulullah, he's thinking of all of these things. And he's got an ajeeb state. Now, not many people know he's there yet. Then he finds Hassan and Hussein and he's embracing them because they're so close to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's embracing them and he's thinking, and then eventually they, 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 he would not give adhan afterwards. He, wouldn't, he refused to give adhan. If Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is not there, I cannot give adhan. But Hassan and Hussein, radiallahu anh, he had great respect for them. They really, they pushed him and said, look, you need to give adhan. And he went and he started giving adhan. As soon as he said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, people... They heard it around the city. Immediately their ears were up. What's happening? They were suddenly, everything starts flooding back to them. They were remembering the times of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. People started coming out of their house. Ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. Even the women came out of their house they thought the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had come back. They thought the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had come back. It just refreshed their minds. It reminded them, has the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam come back? This is Bilal anhu's love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He just, and then he went back, then he, it's, it's related, he used to come uh, once a year, he used to come, and then eventually he passed away in Sham. Finally, there's a hadith I want to leave us with. It's about the Qur'an, and it is so appropriate for this time and age. It's related by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu He relates that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once gave us a khutbah, a sermon. He once addressed us. And in that he said, Ya ayyuhal nas, la khayra 
في العيش إلا لعالم ناطق أو مستمع واع أيها الناس إنكم في زمان هدنة إنكم في زمان هدنة وإن السير بكم سريع وقد رأيتم الليل والنهار كيف يبليان كل جديد ويقربان كل بعيد ويأتيان بكل موعود فقال له المقداد مقداد رضي الله عنه ستهم يا رسول الله ما الهدنة ورزهدنا قال دار بلاء وانقطاع فإذا التبست عليكم الأمور كقطع الليل المظلم فعليكم بالقرآن فعليكم بالقرآن فإنه شافع مشفع وشاهد مصدق من جعله أمامه قاده إلى الجنة ومن جعله خلفه ساقه إلى النار وهو أوضح دليل وهو أوضح دليل إلى خير سبيل من قال به صدق the Prophet ﷺ essentially said that a time will come when there will be so great fitness, which means tribulations, confusions, where you don't know what's right and wrong, where even ulama can't sometimes tell you what's right and wrong about it, where in some of this is here already, where we don't know the best way to do something. It is confusion. Confusion. Which side is right? Which side is wrong? Which side shall I support? Which which side should I oppose? Should I support any side or not? The Prophet also mentioned a number of things like this. He said that a time will come when it will be so much fitna. The best of you will be, or the safest of you will be, the one who goes out with a wooden sword. Now, what are you going to do with a wooden sword? You're ineffective. But what it means is that. Don't take part and if you're forced because you'll be forced to join a party you're either with us or without you know or against us Then go and you know be redundant essentially just be there You know if you have to if you're forced it says the best of you or the safest of you will be the one who goes and grips the roots of a tree with his Cleaves onto it with his teeth and stays there. So this is I alhamdulillah I don't think by the grace of our ulama that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us <coughs> in this country that we're completely <coughs> at those darkest moments of that night that the Prophet has foretold and has prophesied, but there's times of it. But the main thing here is that when those times come, then you can't switch afterwards. The Dajjal is supposed to be a fitna that is supposed to be the worst of the fitnas that you've ever dealt with. Now, the way to understand that is think to yourself. Men think to yourselves, women think to yourselves, what is the worst fitna that you have to deal with personally? Right? If we ask the men, they'll probably say women. We ask the women, they'll probably say, I don't know, good looks, uh, be, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, whatever the, talking too much, uh, uh, whatever, whatever the case is. Each has their own fitna, whatever the fitna, whether it's drugs for you, whether it's something else for you. The jali is supposed to be worse than all of that. It's supposed to be more severe than that. So confusing, so bewildering. The Prophet ﷺ said, When these matters become confusing to you, when you are, when you no longer understand the way forward, then alaykum, alaykum bil Quran. It is necessary for you then to hold on to the Quran, not just read it, but to understand it. Not just to read it, but to understand it, reflect over it, let it penetrate the heart. Because he said that فَإِنَّهُ شَافِعٌ مُشَفَّعٌ. It is the intercessor whose intercession will be accepted. It mentions that the Surah Al-Mulk will intercede for its reader on the day of judgment will force Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you can use the term, will, uh, will, will, will argue the case with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put its reader into paradise. فَإِنَّهُ شَافِعٌ وَشَاهِدٌ مُصَدَّقٌ It is a testifier, a witness who is believed, a trustworthy one. That's the Qur'an. 
And man ja'alahu amamahu qadahu ilal jannah. Whoever puts the Quran in front of them, where they're worshipping, where, where they're worshipping according to it, where they're reciting it, understanding it, practicing upon it, it will drive them to paradise. And whoever puts it behind them, which means on a shelf somewhere that we don't take it out and we don't recite. <coughs> Right? You put it away somewhere in a cupboard to gather dust until the next Ramadan, for example. Which means whoever puts it behind them, it will take them to hellfire. It will take them to hellfire. So finally, to leave us with a few practical tips. A few practical tips. First and foremost, this is a formula that you can use in the time that you spend for reading the Quran. MashaAllah, we have many older people that spend a lot of time reading the Quran, which is really great. It really illuminates our masajid. You know, this is something so beautiful that you don't see in many other countries of the world. You go to places like, uh, I've been to places like Syria, Morocco and other places, masjids are closed after Salat time. Here, mashallah, you can sit for our old white-haired people that sit, retired people who come and recite the Quran and mashallah bring nur into the community. You know, that is really good. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve these individuals and make us all like that one day that we can sit and recite the Quran for a very long, uh, for a very long amount of time. But this is what I, wanna, what, what I want us to think about. When you, your time for recitation of the Quran, whether it's half an hour or one hour, right? Whatever time it is, I want you to split it into four sections, right? I want you to split it into four sections. So let's just take that if you're doing for, uh, for one hour, if that's your Quran recitation time each day or in Ramadan, whenever. I want you to split it into four sections. One, 50% of the time, so half an hour will be spent on reading. So you just read, because that's what you enjoy doing, just read. 25% of the time, you memorize something which might be revision of what you already know but half forgot because that is a big, uh, that, that is really blameworthy to do that right, to forget something you've memorized you know, if you've re- uh, memorized a few suparas or a few Jews of the Quran or a few surahs and you've forgotten them, surah al-Kahf or whatever so re-memorize them and if you know everything you've memorized, re- learn a bit more by the end of your life, if you can know more than you know today you'll get higher in paradise iqra wa taqi right, so m- memorize more and you know, even if your brain is not very good, eventually you will start picking up. The brain is a muscle. The more you use it, inshallah, one day after a year maybe, you'll start memorizing things. If you think, my mind's gone, try. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you. Let me, let, let's look at it this way. Let's say you're trying to learn Surah Al-Mulk. You are still being rewarded for every letter you read. It is still Quran. Just that you're reading the one thing over and over again and hopefully it will enter into your mind and stay there. You're still being, you, you, you know, you could read as many as you would take to read one whole juz and subara of the Quran, but that's fine. You're still being rewarded the same amount. But you're getting more reward because you're putting it into your head, you're reading it to memorize it. So 25% of the time, 15 minutes on memorization. And the last 25 minutes, get a tafsir, get a translation and ponder over the meaning. Start with the things we normally recite in our salat, so our salat will become better. That's how to gain devotion in salat. So you can Alhamdulillah Rabbil Adameen Rahman Rahim Kulhu Allahu Ahad Allahu Samad Alam Tawakeva to to go over those meanings while we're reciting them. Seriously, this is the one thing I feel so bad for our community. This is the one thing we're deprived of. Really, this is something that our ulama should be, you know, I would really take this message that they take this message as well, really hold Arabic classes so that they can at least learn the basic tafsir, the basic translation of the Quran. Right? It is so important. And finally, one more thing, especially for our youth and everybody else. Right? And I know Mullah uh, Ilyas, my colleague here, he spoke about this as well. Our salat. Now, again, for this, from the time that you have become baligh, right? Mature, adolescent, 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever that age was, 
make the best estimation you can of however many salats that you have missed. Right? Now, if I was to ask here for people to put up their hands if they're sahibut tartib, which means people who've missed less than five, who have less than five salats in their balance to make up at present, which means they may have done many qadas before they've made them all up, Le- less than five qadas in my balance, less than six qadas in my balance is called a sahibut tartib. How many of us are sahibut tartib here? I know that you don't want to show off, but just put your hand up like this so I can see it. So at least we feel good that, mashallah, there are some sahibut tartib here. Right? Come on, I need, okay, I see one. I need to see a few others, at least we can feel good that, alhamdulillah, we, uh, you know, we, we haven't missed, uh, you know, we don't have, mashallah, at least two. Come on, we need to see some more. Right? You're not showing off, you're just literally making us feel better that, you know, we can say we've got this. Okay, mashallah, that's three. There, there's, uh, you know, it's very difficult because people are really hiding their, their fingers. But inshallah, there's, there, there, there would be a few, a uh, lot of people here, inshallah. We can all become like that. I've seen people who, 10 years of prayer they've got to make up. Forget a month. Forget about 50 fajrs. 10 years of all the prayers. They just were not praying at all. But they started and they tried and tried and, and, and made it up and eventually was made up. There's unfortunately a fatwa going around which is based on Ibn Hazm's al-Zahiri's opinion. It's not any of the former thumbs. Ibn Hazm al-Zahiri thought his opinion was that if you miss a salat on purpose, there is nothing you can do to make it up except tawbah. Making a qada won't help. That's his opinion. Unfortunately, some people have taken that opinion today and they're saying, if you miss a qada, a salat on purpose, you can't make it up except by tawbah. Whereas if you miss it on by mistake, by accident, sleeping, whatever, then that you do qada of. Firstly, I mean, it's very clear that you would never have an example of a sahabi missing a salat on purpose. Even the munafiqeen would come to the masjid to pray. You know, forget anywhere else. Even the munafiqeen, they would be messing around at the back, right? You know, like in Tarawi, people mess around at the back. The munafiqeen would do that in those days. It's really sad. I hate to draw the parable, the, the parallel. So, um, what, what, he's, uh, what he's saying is that you can't equate the two. Whereas all the former, the, the ijma, Imam Qurtubi has mentioned an ijma, which means a consensus of all of the ulama, that if you miss even a salat by, on purpose, you have to make it up. In fact, it's more conclusively you have to make it up if you have to make one up that you've missed by, uh, by sleeping over it. And the way to do it is, first, if you want, let's just say you've got a year's of salat to make up, right? A year's of, just make the best estimate. Then what you say with every fajr prayer is that, look, I'm going to make two records of my first fajr that I've ever missed. Whichever one that is, you're not going to remember dates. So you just say that, and you make that up. Or what you could do is, you could say, I've got 360 fajrs, I'll do all my fajrs first. And you should think, well, at least in fajr, I'm fine. Then you start on your dhuhrs. You know, it's mostly fajrs that people have a problem with, right? Unless somebody was just totally out and wasn't praying. And that's different. Doesn't matter how many years, how many months, how many salats. Start, if we're to die in between, we can at least speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, well, I did start making it up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take us, inshallah, on our best intentions. But if we sit back and do nothing, nothing will happen. So this is what I this is what I leave us uh, this is what I leave us with here. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give us the tawfiq to understand the beauty of the Quran, understand the great divine nature of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and the great status that He has uh, He has bestowed on His Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala make us those that when we stand in front of Him, we have we don't have to answer to why you didn't pray here, there, or the other. That we have been inshallah preserved, and we have been protected inshallah in that regard. Wa alhamdulillah.